This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hey, Drew Dixon here, Chief Content Nerd at Love Thy Nerd and co-host of Humans of Gaming. This is part two of a three-part series of interviews that we recorded while at Gen Con, um, North America's largest board gaming and tabletop convention. Normally on this podcast, we have a long conversation with a game designer, but there are so many fascinating, interesting, wonderful game designers at Gen Con that we wanted to talk to as many as possible and share them with you. So... That's what, that's what you're about to listen to. Uh, these are short interviews. On this episode, there are about 10 of them. Um, not about. There are 10 of them. Uh, but you're going to hear from Hobie Chu, who made My Little Scythe alongside his daughter for Stonemeyer Games. It's sort of a simplified version of Scythe, or it's lo- loosely based on Scythe. But uh, if you're looking for a board game to introduce to your kids, it's a little bit deeper, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more fun, uh, or a lot more fun, I think than Candyland. Uh, that would be a great game to check out. I think you'll enjoy the interview. You'll also hear from James Wilson, who's made Everdell, which is probably the most beautiful game I saw while at Gen Con. We'll hear from Tim Hirama, who is making Archmage, another really great game at Gen Con. You'll hear from Justin Jacobson of Restoration Games. His company takes old games that maybe got lost or, or maybe people didn't realize how great they are or, or were great but just need a new coat of paint and restores them and makes them, uh, kind of re, refinishes them and, uh, publishes them for a new audience, which I love that idea, just taking old wonderful things that, uh, that were great and re- reintroducing them to players, uh, of a new generation. You'll hear from Floyd Liu, who made Noises at Night, which is a great little deduction game that I actually personally purchased while I was at Gen Con. You'll hear from Chris Apple and Mike Carey, who are making a game based on kind of our contentious political environment called Indictment. I really appreciate their approach with that game. I think you'll enjoy it. You'll hear from Billy Dunmeyer, who does marketing for Yellow uh, Games, and he's going to talk a little bit about 8-Bit, their new video game-themed board game that looks really great. You'll hear from Adam Rayberg, um, who's made Brew in USA and has a new... new uh, expansion to that called Taproom Takeover. He's also making a game called Sword Crafters, which is really, really clever. Uh, you'll hear, finally, from Alan Stone and Jamie Stegmeyer, who together started and work for Stonemeyer Games, who probably make my favorite games, my personal favorite games. So these guys uh, together made Viticulture and Euphoria, and now Stonemeyer Games has put out games like Scythe and Charterstone, and now they have a new expansion to Scythe called Rise of Fen- Fenris that just came out. And uh, and also, of course, they published Hobie's game, My Little Scythe. So um, yeah, these guys uh, talk a bit about their craft and how they started Stonemeyer Games and and kind of give some encouragement even to community, uh, to the community and, and to, uh, to future game designers. So, uh, yeah, I hope this inspires you. Maybe it'll even encourage you to go out and make a game yourself. Uh, go out and get creative. Go out and do something, uh, that brings beauty and truth and goodness out into the world. So this is part two. You'll hear part three very soon. Drew Dixon here from Love Thy Nerd, and I'm here with Hobie Chow, who, along with his daughter, 
created a really cool new game called My Little Scythe. I actually picked up my copy a couple days ago, so I'm really excited to check it out. Uh, give us the quick pitch. What is My Little Scythe and what makes it unique? Well, My Little Scythe is about a game where uh, people from different various animal kingdoms get together and they compete together in a tournament called the Harvest Tournament uh, to see who can get to four trophies first. Um, there's a lot to do. No two games are the same. And... Um, it's, it's really quite uh, relative to its big brother's side. It's, it's quite fast-paced. There's a friendship element in the game. Um, and what we tried to do is make it accessible for, for beginners, for um, younger players, for more casual players, but also offer that strategic depth and those options, that, those nice juicy decisions for the more experienced gamers. All right. And so you want to introduce kind of that, those quick but really weighty feeling decisions that Scythe is known for to a younger crowd, right? Tell us a little bit about the story of, of how the idea of the game spawned from your relationship with your daughter. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. It, it wasn't, it's not a very textbook story. Um, my daughter and I loved Scythe, and we really wanted to share Scythe and everything we love about it with our friends. But um, our friends didn't find it too accessible in the very beginning, but we didn't want to let that stop us because we wanted more people to appreciate uh, the, the core of Scythe. So what we did was we decided, hey, let's get together, retheme it, consolidate, streamline, re-engineer some of the rules, and make it a little bit more accessible for everybody. So one thing led to another, and we discovered... Uh, uh, that just actually we we discovered accidentally because we never intended to get have this game published that a lot of other people were in the same situation they were looking for a game that sat somewhere between uh, the choices of Gloomhaven on one end and Candyland on the other end and we were and so were they and uh, we were, were very grateful that this went out it went viral uh, it um, caught the attention of Jamie and we were so grateful that Jamie with his big heart uh, supported this and gave us an opportunity to demo this for him last Gen Con and here we are a year later. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever think you would be here? No, not at all. No, no. We, you know what? Um, there's that cliche about do what you love and all that good stuff will follow later. Uh, this is the same situation. We just wanted to uh, create a game for our friends and family. Uh, never intended it to go out, but we're, we're glad it did and we're, we're glad it actually brings smiles to so many other people out there. We see people play it all around the, the uh, convention hall here having a blast and we couldn't be happier. Cool. You were just sharing with me a minute ago that you said you admitted you're a bit of an extrovert and that you get energy from other people, being around other people, and you said that plays into your approach to game design and what you did with the game. Could you uh, expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in the Big Brother Scythe, you, part of the attraction is you, you spend a lot of time in the beginning building up your engine and your faction's capability before expanding out and eventually interacting with others, and that's if you interact with others. But so for my little side, you get right into the interaction right away. You, you talk to others, you do silly things with each other. Uh, even the, uh, one of the mechanisms, friendship, uh, is related to your interaction with others. If you do things that actually help others, you get friendship. If you do things like throw a pie at dad later, your friendship actually goes down. So it encourages that interaction, and you're always thinking about what other players are doing throughout the whole game. Yeah, that's great. Uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their experience playing My Little Scythe together? What do they gain? Well, a couple of things. I hope they gain appreciation of the, uh, uh, what's so awesome about Eurogaming, right? There's, um, uh, I think that uh, young people, uh, just casual gamers in general, have a lot of potential and a lot to gain from trying out this great hobby of ours. 
uh, more so than more uh, traditional, simpler games. They have a lot of potential. And that's why I saw that in my daughter, and I'm sure all kids around North America and Europe and the world uh, can, can gain that as well. Um, I also think that if you, th you know, reflect on our lives, we really don't have that many opportunities to share awesome times with our friends and families. So it really pained me to have to turn away people because of their skill level or their age. I wanted to bring people back to the gaming table together. And when we see people of all ages and capacities and you know, genders come together and still enjoy the game together, we know we've done our jobs. Yeah, well, it looks, it looks really, really pretty. It's available uh, in stores very soon. Uh, if you pre-ordered it, you can get it now, right? That's right. Yeah, we're actually, there's a few copies left here at Gen Con, but we're almost out. Uh, the official release date is August 17th, but a couple of game stores have uh, pre-release events, and they should be available right now. I'm curious to hear from you. Uh, this is your first game design experience, so you may have a little bit of a different perspective, but I like to ask designers, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? But this is your first experience doing it, so I'd also be curious to hear from you. Do you think you'll make another game? Is there, is there more game uh, designing in your future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I think when people buy things as product or service, they don't just buy the pieces. They, they buy an experience. They buy an outcome. They buy a feeling. And I think uh, games are, can bring that to people. So as a designer, I actually start with that experience in mind. I start with what I want people to, how I want people to feel about the game first. And then I, I match it with the right mechanisms. That's just my style. Uh, and I, I love doing, being able to do that, and I'd like to do that again. Well, uh, we really enjoyed checking out My Little Scythe. Encourage you to go check it out as well. That's it for us here at Gen Con with uh, Hobie Chow. Dixon with All That I Nerd here, and I'm here with James Wilson. He is the designer of Everdell. Uh, so yeah, James, tell us a little bit about Everdell and what makes it unique. Yeah, I'd love to. So here in Everdell, we are in the beautiful little valley of Everdell where these woodland critters have been building up civilizations and living and thriving underneath the beautiful Ever tree. But Everdell's starting to get a little bit cramped, so they want to move out and get some space. So they've been moving out to the edge of the forest to build out their new little civilization. That's what you're going to be doing over the course of this game, is building out a city out there. And uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain from their experience playing Everdell, what would it be? Yeah, only one thing, I hope they have fun. No, but, but to put it more pointedly, uh, what I really did with the design is I took uh, two different genres that I love. I took worker placement and tableau building, and I put it together into a nice streamlined game. It's about 20 minutes per player. Uh, it's very intuitive and quick to get into, but it has a tremendous amount of depth to it. Uh, this morning we just had a guy come by that's an avid magic player. He said, I absolutely love Everdell because I feel like I'm playing magic when I play Everdell. So it just really goes to show the, the, the depth of the, the turns and, and the cards and all the things you can combo in there. So I think what they would enjoy is uh, two things, if I can sneak them in, is uh, the theme. We really put a lot of time into building out that world. We, we did development on the theme of Everdell for over a year for just the world itself on creating that and building that to really put that there. I'd want people to feel like they're transported to Everdell but then also that they feel like they have a deep game here that they want to come back and explore more of the world and more cards. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And uh, it looks like, you know, the, the art, I think, is really inviting. Um, tell us about maybe the inspiration for some of the artwork. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the art is done by the artist. Uh, his name is Andrew Bosley, and you should keep an eye on him because he's he's going to be doing some big, big stuff this year. Um, but really what we wanted to do was just to capture that idyllic place that you feel like you would want to go and live in. Of course, we were inspired by things like Redwall or Mouse Guard, and also just kind of the Shire from Lord of the Rings, that perfect little idyllic countryside that you just want to escape to and live inside of. That's what we wanted to create with Everdell, a place where it seems like the sun is just shining there because it's the perfect little valley to live in. Yeah, cool. And uh, do you have a background in making games? What, what's, uh, have you, is this your first game? What have you done in the past? So Everdell is my first designed and published game that I have. Uh, I worked on it for over five years in development, and there was other games that came and went throughout the time, but Everdell was always the one that I was working on through all that whole time. So this is my first published game. Yeah, that's cool. How's the response been so far? Response has been overwhelming. Um, we have had people crowding around the booth all day long, and we sold out pretty quick, and lots of people want to come back tomorrow. It's been very good. Cool. Uh, one last question I like to ask game designers: What drives you to do this? What 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 motivates you to make games? I've always been a creative person. I pursued being an author for ten years, uh, writing stories. So creativity really really kind of comes from inside me. But uh, you know, we just loved games uh, originally. We wanted to, and I'm talking about with my wife because she did a lot with me. We wanted to create the game that we wanted to play, taking our favorite pieces of things and putting them together and leaving out some things we didn't like as much. It was a game for us originally. But uh, as we got feedback from people that played it, they said, you've really got something here. You need to co keep going with it. And I'm a creative individual at heart. I love to create things and uh, anything I get into. So it was natural, and it just kept going, and here it is today. That's cool. You said uh, your wife helped uh, a little bit with the design. Uh, do you guys play Everdell together? What's that like? We've played Everdell together over 300 times. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and who's got the edge? Me? <laughs> but she's very good at the game, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, we played together a lot, um, and yeah, originally we designed it for us, you know, the game that we wanted to have. Um, but thankfully, thousands of other people have been enjoying it as well. That's cool. We, I've loved checking it out, looking at it just now, and it's it's a beautiful-looking game, really inviting, I think. Uh, so definitely go check that out. It's available now, right? So here at Gen Con today, we sold out today. I'll have a bunch more tomorrow. Um, and, you know, pre-orders, it's going to be hitting retail at the end of October. If you go to the website, starling.games, you can order it directly from there to get the collector's edition. But it's going to be all over at the end of October. Yeah. And I'm with Tim Hirama, who has made a game called Archmage that looks really rad. We just checked it out. Um, so, yeah, give us the quick pitch. What is Archmage and what makes it unique? All right. So Archmage is a Euro game kind of in a fantasy setting. You're going to play the role of fledgling mage. It's going out to explore a land that's fallen into ruin and to craft new spells because magic has been lost from the land. So it's focused around six interlocking spheres, and you're going to start to weave those spheres of magic into new spells. By the end of the game, whoever's learned the most magic in terms of variety of spells and whoever's got the most area control on the map is going to be crowned the new Archmage. And you were telling me that this is your first published game. What's that experience been like? Uh, game design is very interesting. I've been working on this for five to six years. And um, so the whole process of first some games that failed, you know, you bring it to a company and they, uh, they own the license to something and they don't like your game or they won't even look at your game, then it's dead in the water right away. Or... You've almost finished a game and somebody comes out with one that has enough overlap. You think, ah, it's too similar, and you give up on that. So a lot of false starts before one finally makes it to market that um, catches on. 
And as I say, five to six years of work, I mean, I shopped this around in a certain state. And I think the biggest learn for me in, was the role of a developer. So I worked with uh, Dan May from Starling Games on this for over a year, polishing it up, changing things, rebalancing, and just making it such a better game. So the role of a developer, I think, is something that's really underappreciated in the hobby. And uh, I hope people can get to know more about what they do. That's cool. So uh, I'd be curious to hear about what you hope players gain from their time with the game. Like, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their experience playing Archmage? One thing. Uh, I mean, as a gamer, I went through a phase of a lot of consumption of games where every week it's try the next hotness and play it once or twice and move on to the next thing. Um, so when I started a design challenge for myself was a game that I could play literally hundreds of times and still enjoy coming back to it. So replayability and a sort of a move away from that constant consumption into more of a dedicated game in a world that I can explore and uh, enjoy time with my friends. Uh, so we can go with each other along. It's not a friendly game of time. There's combat. There's uh, spells that interfere with what each other are doing. But at the end of the day, we laugh. We walk away friends uh, and just enjoy the time together. Yeah, and uh, you know, you could have made a thousand different games, a million different games than this. Why this one? What, 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 what motivated you particularly to make this game? Gotcha. So, two things. Uh, first would be my love of fantasy. I have a big wall of fantasy novels at home. Um, jobs can get pretty heavy sometimes, and for me, fantasy is a world of escape to leave the sort of day to day behind and just get into a different headspace. So, that was definitely a, a love of fantasy. And then I also like the sort of heavier side of the hobby. I like Euro games. Um, and I didn't see many fantasy games that tread into that water where you uh, have resource management, you have tableau building, you have action point allowances, you have diceless combat. Most fantasy games are dungeon crawlers, they're roll for stats, those kind of games. I was looking for something that was a little different in terms of a heavy sort of fantasy game. And uh, what, what have you learned from this experience of, you know, six years you said that you've been working on this. What have you, what, what have you gained from this, this journey? I think, honestly, uh, dedicating yourself to something is worth the time. Like, to come here at the end of it, to pitch it to people, to see them get excited, to walk around, see people playing it, to read online reviews, and know that something I did is giving people joy, right? I think that's, I don't know how to put that into words. That's such a good feeling, and I don't know how else to get that feeling in terms of, uh, you know, sharing something that means something to me and having people enjoy it. Yeah, great. Well, it looks fantastic. Um, and uh, it's available. When will it be available? So the collector's edition is here at the con in limited amounts. Uh, we're shipping to backers this month, and then it will hit retail channels come September. So all your usual online friendly local game store should be able to order it through the usual distribution channels. Okay. Great, cool. We'll look forward to that soon. Uh, thanks so much, Tim. Enjoyed My it. Pleasure. Yeah. I'm here with Justin Jacobson, and he is one of the head dudes. What is your role, head dude? Is that it? Uh, I'll accept it, sure. Uh, I'm actually technically the uh, owner of the company and president, I guess. It's not as cool as head dude. Oh, yeah, I agree. I'm going with head dude from now on. My title at Love Thy Nerd is Chief Content Nerd. So, I mean, you could maybe... The funny thing is we one of my things is coming up with really cool titles for all the people that I work with. So, like, Rob's our chief restoration officer. And, like, uh, JR's our tinker-in-chief, and I just never bothered to come up with a cool name for myself. So I'll go with Head Dude. Okay, cool. We'll put it out on Twitter, and we'll let them decide for you. How about that? 
I think it'll stick. <laughs> All right, cool. Now, uh, so you guys are showing lots, lots of games here. Uh, a couple ones that we've noticed are uh, Dinosaur Tea Party, and then, of course, you guys uh, relaunched Fireball Island not too long ago. Tell me a little bit about what's on your lineup and, and what makes them unique. Sure. So our company, our whole reason of being is that we take old out-of-print mass market games, mostly from the 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s, and uh, fix them up and bring them back for the modern gamer. Because we think there's sort of these old gems, hidden gems from the past that maybe suffered from some mechanical uh, uh, ideas of the time, but with just a little polish could be sort of really neat even for today's gamer. So we started with three games last year. It was uh, Di- um, I'm sorry, Downforce, Stop Thief, and um, Indulgence. And then we finally landed. The big one was Fireball Island. We had a nice Kickstarter this year for that. Uh, we're getting ready to release that uh, in November is the official release date. And um, we just announced yesterday that we're bringing back Dark Tower. Awesome. That's great. Uh, if you had to narrow down to one thing, I know this is hard to answer because your games are so diverse. Uh, if you had to narrow down to one thing, though, that you hope players gain from their time with restoration games, with games that you guys publish, what would it be? Well, we're our sort of one of the interesting things about our games is because they're older games, a lot of the people who are interested in games played them as kids, but that was 20, 30 years ago, and now they're adults who have kids. And so one of the very rewarding things, it's not the only people who play our games. Certainly we have people who never heard of the games before who are enjoying the stuff that we're putting out. But it's particularly rewarding when we hear stories and I hear from people who are like, oh, I played this as a kid and now I get to play it with my kids. And it sort of like brings it full circle. Um, so that's a nice nice feeling when I hear that. Cool. Do you have kids that you played I do. I have an 11-year-old and a 12-year-old, and uh, I'm doing the very thing I'm talking about. I mean, the games that we brought back are games that I played when I was a kid, and uh, they get to play test it. They think it's pretty cool to have their name in the rule book. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And uh, one last question I like to ask designers is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? So uh, for people who don't know, my background is I'm an actually a licensed attorney. I practiced law for 20 years, and um, now I get to make board games. Are you kidding? Uh, so it's just very rewarding on several levels. For starters, it's a really neat amalgamation of science and art making a game, unlike most anything else, which really appeals to me because I both have an artistic side that I like to satisfy and a scientific, mathematical, logical side. And so being able to use both sides of the brain that way is very rewarding. And then also, instead of suing people, I get to hear stories about how much fun they're having. And uh, that's super rewarding. So it's great for me. Yeah. Maybe your uh, law background helps you to hunt down those licenses you need for those old games? Yeah, that's sort of what I bring to the table is uh, doing the contracts and negotiating and uh, tracking down the rights for things. And that's that's what I bring to the table as far as my expertise goes. Um, and uh, I leave a lot of the other stuff to the other folks on the team. We have a great team. so. Well, uh, Restoration Games lineup here at Gen Con looks fantastic. Be looking for... Uh, for there. Um, so Dinosaur Tea Party is available now. And then tell me about the others. So Dinosaur Tea Party is available at Gen Con. It's a pre-release. The street date is actually September 8th. It's $20. Um, and it should be uh, in, among other things, Barnes & Noble. Uh, and it'll be on Amazon and hobby stores and things like that. We also have a uh, expansion for Downforce that we just came out uh, called Danger Circuit with a new track, uh, two tracks and six more player powers and then the next thing we're releasing is fireball island and that's uh scheduled to come out in november and 
everything is still on schedule for that. We actually haven't announced any of our lineup for next year yet, uh, so we're trying to get a few more I's dotted and T's crossed, uh, but we'll be making some announcements soon for that. But we have a really exciting lineup, and I can't wait to announce it for next year. So I'm here with Floyd Liu, and you design Noises at Night, and also you've designed some other games as well. Yes, I designed The Refuge, Noises at Night. I've been a designer for four years. Yeah, that's kind of tough. Yeah, yeah and uh, you also published some games that you're showing here with BNB. Yeah, I've published Destiny Aurora, BetaBots, uh, a bunch of games, Highlander, The Duel. Uh, so I'm in an interesting position because I'm a designer and a publisher as well, and not a lot of people are both. Uh, a lot of people are just one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is that? What have you learned from that experience of being both a designer and a publisher? Well, one thing is that I learned is that it's very hard to be both a publisher and a designer. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times, you have to be very objective with yourself. Uh, just don't publish games that are not playable, and yeah. you know, be really intricate about and passionate about this industry. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you had to narrow down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from Noises at Night in, in particular, but, but maybe all the games that you design? Well, a fun user experience, first of all, and a great story. And, and some it's hard these days for people to buy a product and actually say that, hey, I got my money's worth out of this. Um, and a lot of the times I want to convey that experience that it's like, hey, I bought this game. I loved it. I played it like 40 times, 50 times, and I think that's an important part of user experience. Cool. Yeah. Another question I like to, to ask people is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? Uh, I love games myself. I'm, I'm a board gamer. I play video games. I, I play all the, the latest and greatest. Um, I'm very passionate about it. Uh, I'm also very creative. Uh, I love the board game community. They're so nice. And yeah. everyone's awesomely friendly and and unique and intelligent. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we really enjoyed checking out Noises at Night. It's available now, right? Yes, it's available. It'll be available next month. We had a Gen Con pre-release, but it's go it's going to be sold out by today. We had like three left, and we had a rush yesterday when it came out. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I normally ask this, and I just realized I didn't. Uh, give us a really quick pitch what Noises at Night is. So Noises at Night is a unique twist, and it's a, it's a modern deduction game where you're scoring victory points. So you, are, you have a secret identity, and there's noises around the house, and you're scoring points by leaving clues around the house. So if you leave a clue, uh, there might be different trackers on it. So... It, it might be obvious to a certain identity, uh, so you have to be kind of uh, discreet about leaving your clues while still scoring points because other people can guess you and collect more points than you and, and take the lead. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's like a modern Cluedo. Yeah. Or a modern modern clue where you're not solving the final mystery. Mm -hmm but you're actually scoring points, and it, it, yeah. it gives it more, like, family feel. Right, yeah, yeah. I noticed that right off the bat. The art feels very, like, family-friendly and welcoming, even though it's got a, a slightly creepy vibe to it. It feels like something I can play with my kids, and they'd pick up fairly easily. Uh, what's the ages on it? What would you... Uh, so, yeah, it is 8, eight plus. Okay. You know, like, 
every kid can look at the art as well though like my two-year-old she loves just looking at the art and breaking some of the cards yeah. <laughs> it also comes to the uh, it actually you can also purchase a kid's storybook out of it and it's not out yet it'll probably be out in like two months but we have the very first one here at our booth at 259 oh, nice. Gen Con and you can you know if you're a backer or a big fan you can look at that book and see some of the stories it was a beautiful laid out story with yeah. beautiful art awesome i got really lucky with the artist she's a student in uh, russia yeah and she was really good to work with although like we had to translate everything in google translate and sketch everything in a year's span it was worth it yeah yeah that's cool yeah it's really it's really a good looking game so uh yeah be uh well our audience are, i'm sure will be excited to check it out Okay, so it's Mike and your last name? Chris. Oh, sorry. Chris Apple. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I, I'm, That's okay. We're co designers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chris Apple and Mike Carey. Thank you. Yep. And you guys are from, uh, from Madison? No, Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln, Nebraska. And, uh, that was, I get to that's a bad thing to say. Oh my god, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. No, we haven't really had anything published yet. I mean, these are kind of our first foray into pitching games for the games that we've designed. So we brought basically two games to Gen Con to pitch to publishers. Yeah. Diamond and Out of Line food trucks. Okay, yeah. Two games that we're pitching. Yeah. And then we brought our next game in the Out of Line series, which is Out of Line Major Calls. Okay. To basically play test in the play test hall. Yeah. And play test out. Okay, okay, great. Yeah, so we were just talking about indictment, but give me the quick pitch. What is it indictment? What makes it unique? Yeah, light, uh, Indictment is a light to medium card uh, weight card game. Uh, basically, you're playing the pitchman for a politician, and you're playing against other pitchmen to try to get rid of scandals. Basically, lots, it's not the person that wins the game, but it's the person that's left with the scandals at the end that actually loses. Yeah. So one person gets it stuck to them by everybody else. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And uh, so you've got a couple other games here that you're showing. Uh, out of line food trucks. Uh, what, what's that one about? Out of line food trucks is basically a line management game where you're playing a person at a food truck rally. Yeah. And you're trying to get to the front of the line to get the food. So you want to be the first one to serve food. Only it gives you those mechanics that everybody wishes they had in real life, which is being able to cheat by sneaking up in line, switching places with other players yeah. in the line, to try to be yeah, the first especially one Especially possibly trucks here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. It's a little crazy. But you, I assume you all went and experienced that a little bit. Yes. So, since you're uh, making a game about food trucks. Yes, we did. Cool. And, uh, and what is uh, out of line nature of all this? What's that about? Uh, it's similar line management kind of game, but instead of waiting for food trucks, you're um, working your way through lines to get porta potties. No, nice. So it's a little more adult, but still a pretty medium humor on the adult side of it. Yeah, and the big twist is it adds a mechanic. Instead of just having to get to the line, you have to also deal with the fact that at any moment, nature call might actually call on you, or you might have to get stuck out of line because you might have had an accident. So you have to deal with both the line itself and the accident might happen. That's fun. 
They kind of escape from real life. Yeah. You know, it's taking real life things and making it fun to play. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, because we talked about it earlier with indictment. Yeah. You know, it kind of gives you a break from our very heated, right. uh, very divisive political climate. Right. It gives everybody an opportunity to just kind of laugh at some of these things that are not funny right. in real life, but in a game. Yeah. Hey, yeah. They're yeah. funny. Like, it gives you a break. I like that. Yeah. That's cool. And you say something similar for out-of-line food trucks? Yeah, I mean, nobody likes waiting in line. Right. But this makes it fun and yeah. puts a level of strategy in there. Yeah. And you can watch kids play the game, and they they just they light up as they do it because they say they've always wanted to be able to do those kinds of things yeah. in real life, but they can't. Yeah. And adults do make fun of it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And my kids... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cutting in line is a major fantasy that they have. Uh, they would think it all the time. Exactly. They would all the time. 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 Well, outside of, I mean, obviously the obvious inspiration in Gen Con itself, because yeah. food trucks are all over the place, and having a way to play for bathrooms, so it's all relevant. Yeah. Uh, we kind of wanted to start with something that was a little bit lighter weight while we work on those bigger, larger board games that we have those ideas for, just to be able to get something out there, uh, you know, cut our teeth on getting pitches yeah. done, trying to get it out to market, something that's a smaller, manageable size, that's not yeah. a huge, heavyweight, expensive game. Yeah. Right, yeah. And then uh, last question I like to ask designers is why do you make games? What, what drives you to, to do this? Uh, I've played games for 40 some years yeah. and brought me a lot of happiness. And I like creating these and seeing our kids and grandkids play them yeah. and get that same smile on their face. Yeah. So you're hoping, I assume, out of. Are these uh, all? I assume Adeline food trucks make sense to aim at kids. What right. about the other ones? Yeah. yeah, yeah. All of them are basically designed towards kids, probably that seven to eight years. Okay. Uh, we try to keep the nature calls uh-huh. to basic body humor. Yeah. I mean, yes, it is body humor. But My kids are too. obsessed yeah. with body humor. Yeah. And I have two girls. I have two uh-huh. girls and a boy, but the boy is not old enough to care about body humor. He's nine months. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, but my girls, you know, there's this assumption that girls are less into that, but I mean, just the word that yeah. Yeah. they will in oh butts. Like, we try not, you know, like we try to, hey, we kind of live yeah. that, but, but only, you know, you can only live it so much, but like, they will talk about booty and butt and giggle yeah. about it all day long, so yeah. <laughs> they would actually love this. Yeah. Yeah. Much like my kids, it's one of those, like, we try to keep those games to ones that like my nieces and nephew can play with me because we want to bring it to our families and our friends to be able but kind of show them what we're capable of doing or what the kind yeah. of games that we like to play. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, so I guess the, the scandals and things in indictment are, are somewhat family friendly. Oh yeah, I mean, okay. I mean obviously there's a, there's a couple that may, may mention the word sex, but it's not like no lyric details or anything right, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's just basic facts about the scandal itself. If you want to look up more about it, obviously you can do that. Yeah, you can go. We'll have a handy little sheet on the website that says here's where this game is. Part of the fun's been having those, you know, young kids and our friends help play tests. Yeah. So 
it's, they've been they've played these hundreds of times. Yeah. And it's been a lot of fun. Great. Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks so much for. The general concept of 8-Bit is you're buying a console. You're buying okay. a video game console. Yeah. The video game console comes with controllers. The controllers have some generic uh, movements programmed into them, so yeah. you can move these guys, spin these guys around. You see all the dials with different symbols, different uh, arrows. Now, just like a video game, the arrows and symbols and numbers on the controller are going to interact differently depending on the game we're playing. Yeah. So in the box is our controllers, our generic components, and our three games. Each game is a standalone experience that comes yeah. with its own set of rules, its own components, but it interacts with your controllers and your generics yeah. in its own way. Okay. The general idea going forward is you buy your console, you get your three starting games, each of them's different. You got a uh, one versus all. You got a team game. You got a free for all racing game. They're all inspired by old retros. Think. Okay. Uh, track and field and Pac-Man. Okay, nice. Now moving forward, an expansion in air quotes is a new game. Okay. So instead cool. of buying this whole big giant expansion, it's forty bucks. It has yeah. all these new components. You just buy a game. Yeah, yeah. The game is ten to fifteen bucks ish. You know, you right. know we're balancing around price still to be determined, but it's a cheap game comes with its own set of rules, its own experience, but it's a standalone. Okay. So when we come out with a library of five games, you just pick the ones you like, yeah. as opposed to buying this huge front-loaded right. expansion with a bunch of components. So the idea is a bunch of unique experiences all packed into the same storage box, and we're emulating the whole idea of a video game system and the pricing model of a, you know, the ongoing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course, man. The, the, I love the boxes. The boxes are all great. Um, if you're a fan of the old retro games, right. you'll be able to point out all the inspirations as you play. And from what I understand, all the new ones coming out are e are going to be equally as faithful to their uh, retro counterparts yeah, that's awesome. as we can. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Yes. Anytime. Yes. Tell me your name again. Billy. Billy. Nice to meet you, yes, Billy. Yes, sir. Thank yeah, you very thanks. much, man. Truck off the food truck frenzy, uh, yeah. sword crafters, which is new this year at Gen Con. Yeah, and then working on a few developments, including the okay. taproom takeover. So, did you design uh, sword crafters as well? Sword crafters, yep. Okay, as well, it's a co-design with my buddy over there, Chris Newman. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. And what sword crafters about? So, sword crafters is a game where you physically build a three-dimensional sword. Okay. Uh, you start with a sword hilt. As you play the game, you get tiles that are slotted, and they, they can be assembled into your sword hilt. So, your sword grows as you play the game. At the end of the game, you compare your sword versus your opponents, again, uh, based on length, yeah. based on quality, based on magic. So quality is when you get gems of the same type in a row, uh -huh. and magic is when you get like two of a certain gem type, and you have the most of those at the table. Yeah. Um, so it's a really great moment at the end of the game. You're comparing the sword length against yeah. uh, everyone. You're like, who has the longest sword? Yeah. Six points, you know? I so see what you did there. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like a, I mean, it's like the ticket to ride longest, uh, right. longest rail or whatever, right. but... Um, it's a better moment because it's got such a punctuation em uh, emphasis on it. Yeah, nice. Uh, and then, uh, so Ruin USA was your first game. Yes. You said that was about four years ago. That about four years ago, yep. 
And the, the, the way that that came together was actually through a game design competition called the Cards uh, Against Humanity Tabletop Deathmatch. Okay. So they brought a bunch of designers in. Um, Bruin USA was one uh, of the games that they wanted to look at, and uh, they were kind of like evaluating to see who was the coolest game design. Anyway, Bruin USA, coming out of that, I was super pumped and, and excited, and there was so much awesome feedback that I had to make it. And I was, I'm also pretty passionate about running my own business, right? So yeah. Um, I made it a reality, and what was so cool was we got 77 real breweries licensed, licensed and involved in the game. So, where are you guys from? I'm from Nashville. Chris is from Ventura, California. Nashville. Okay, so we got, we got I think, three or four California beers and, like, one or two Tennessee beers. Okay. Um, Do you remember which one's from Tennessee? Sue? Okay. Uh, by, I forget the brewery, but I, if I had it, if I was oh, demoing... Oh, Yazoo Sue? Yazoo Sue, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. They're cool. Yeah. Um, and in California, there's like Golden Road, I think it's in there, and uh, Eagle Rock. Okay. okay. Anyway, Los, Los Angeles. A, I'm, I'm a beer guy. He's uh, beer okay, guy. understood. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it's really cool. Um, uh, if you're a beer industry nerd, like you're, you really appreciate this because you're like, oh, this is all local stuff in my brewery or something I know is in there, right? Yeah. In, indie people like Sun King. Uh-huh. And so we have Sun King in the game, and they just get they just glow when they see that. They're like, yeah. oh, you did you understand us? You know? <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, that's cool. So I guess you're kind of like a beer guy. Yeah. So I've, I I home brewed. I started home brewing a while ago, maybe eight or ten years ago, and probably maybe have like ten or fifteen batches um, per year, kind of thing. So yeah. you know, do it do it's it pretty work. often. It is hard yeah. work. It's a lot of work, yeah. and that's where the passion started from. But then I, I merged that with games. Yeah. Have you yeah. always been a gamer? Is always that... been a gamer. Okay. Started out as a video gamer, and then actually have progress towards board games yeah 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 cool. but still you have a little you know dirty um or guilty pleasure with the video games for sure sure not dirty but guilty pleasure <laughs> what do you like to play video game uh video game wise it's it's hearthstone uh okay. that thing is crack and then also PUBG. okay yeah cool. nice and uh if you had to narrow down to one thing that you hope players gain from their time playing the games that you make the games you designed what would it be so um what, what do you gain from playing it um so Industry knowledge is actually cool because, like, uh, Brewing USA gives you a, a, a pretty cool simulation of how hard it is to be a brewery in the world. Um, you start out, it costs a lot of money on the front end, and you are scraping at money the rest of the game, which is cool. But I would say more so is, like, just the approachability. These are gateway games. These are games that, like, we, we, we design them to be very approachable and to, to hit a wide audience, right? So the reason I started gaming uh, and board gaming and made Brewing USA was really because... I wanted to get my other friends who are video gamers into board games, and so they all like beer, so Brewing USA was a great way to get them into board games. So yeah. I think approachability and just like having something that you can, you know you can put it on the table and everyone's gonna resonate with the theme um, some way or another, um, and it, most likely in a positive way. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And uh, last question I like to ask designers is, why do you make games, what drives you? Oh boy, um, I, innovation, um, product design, and uh, it, these sound like dry businessy terms, right, or whatever. But like, sure. man, it just fuels my motor when I have yeah. a new challenge to solve. So it's it's um, it's it's visualizing this cool thing that I want to play and making it happen so I can put it on the table and getting it you know in front of other people. And they they may not like it the first time or the tenth time even, but it's going to get there and that vision is going to come to life. So it's really just you know seeing. Um, newness come out and I, I think that's one thing we really like to focus here is going after unique themes like Americana uh, beer food trucks sword holding like what is that about right <laughs> and uh, yeah. so I, I think really just you know focusing on those things yeah cool and uh, how's the reception been so far 
So, uh, so, so far, Swordcrafters are new one this year, yeah. um, and it's been crushing it. So we're we're gonna, probably going to run out of copies by Saturday, yeah. I would say. Um, yeah. But is that just out at Gen Con, or is that available elsewhere? So we we kickstarted. Um, it's still available for pre-order, and it's going to be available in the hobby hobby game stores in like September. Okay. But right now we have a, a early 200 copies at Gen Con, so it's cool. essentially just available in physical in its physical sense at Gen Con right now. Okay. Cool. Yep. Cool. What about the the expansion to Bruin USA Taproom Takeover? Yep. So hope to be on Kickstarter with that one end of the uh, end of the year, and hope, hoping it's available for everyone in uh, 2019. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Stone, where are you from? Um, I live in St. Louis now. I grew up in southern Missouri. I don't know how much where you're from, what you want, but yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I've been there for 16 years now. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. So, and you are one half of Stonemeyer Games, correct. essentially. Yep. And I, uh, well, half is not correct. I am probably like five percent of Stonemeyer Games. Okay. <laughs> I, I, Jamie works 80 hours a week on it. I am, I'm, full, I have a full-time job doing something okay. else, and so, um, yeah, Jamie does his thing, and I help where I can. Cool. Yeah. So uh, you guys made Euphoria and before that Viticulture together. Correct. Yep. Um, how did you guys kind of get into making board games together? Uh, Jamie brought over a, I don't know if he wants anybody to know this, but he brought over a Geisha game. <laughs> and we kind of started messing with that and, and just, he brought it over to play test and, and uh, it didn't pan out. And then he brought over what would become Viticulture. And so we, Geisha, like the Japanese? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, he, he uh, uh, spent some time in Japan and loves Japanese culture, and so kind of set up a game yeah. like that. And um, that one, yeah, that one didn't pan out. Um, but uh, brought over what would become Viticulture, and um, we played it. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. You know, I think this could actually be something. And and he agreed, and so we decided to do what we could with it. Um, I think version 13.1 or 13.2 is what actually ended up on Kickstarter. Yeah. And even that, we learned, you know, wasn't completely ready. I, none of this is, you, you'd find all this on Jamie's blog. We learned that you should have a game 99.9% ready before you put it on Kickstarter rather yeah. than 90% ready. Um, but that, that did afford us a lot of opportunities to take other people's input as we were creating it. So. Um, but it's one of the first... You know, relatively successful Kickstarter campaigns, right? Yeah, uh, I think within, it did within board well. game space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I think it did really well. I'm, I'm sure there were some before us, um, but it did well enough for us to publish it and, and yeah. work from there. Um, and then we had some really successful ones after that. So, yeah. yeah. What do you think it was uh, about that first campaign that you were able to break through with Kickstarter, whereas a lot of other people weren't? I think that is the magic of Jamie Stegmeyer. He um, he knew that online community was important, and yeah. he had he had figured that out and was able to do that through Kickstarter. And some of the people that followed us and, and supported Viticulture, a lot of those people are still with us today as fans of our company. You know, they like what we do. And, and because of Jamie's ability to create community and maintain that, uh -huh. I think we've, we've been very successful with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can see that because I think you, your company and you know, Jamie in particular probably is really well known for being accessible to the community. I mean, like, I yeah. just played through Charterstone. Well, I have a couple games left. 
but I played through it recently with yeah. me and my wife, and I had a couple questions. I got on the Facebook group and asked, and I expected some other charter stone player to give me some right, insight. Right, and, all of and a who sudden, shows James, up? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, hey, here's how that card works. Yep. And yep. That's pretty that's, great. That's what he does. So yeah, yeah he's yeah. always available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right now, like while we're talking, I think there's somebody over there pitching a game to him. Yeah, and, right. Uh, seems to seems to be important to you guys both to give back. To the community and to the and yeah, to other designers. It's twofold there. Like it, it obviously helps us if somebody comes to us with something amazing. We're gonna to want to publish that. But it, yeah, it's also we try to. I, I'm in charge of filtering through our prototype submissions, and we have a submission page, and we have we have some initial filters that say if you if your game doesn't do this, don't even come to us. But if your game meets this criteria, let us know, and then I will, at the very least, you're going to get an email back from me saying, this doesn't work for us. That's the the worst case scenario. Um, uh, Because, yeah, we, we think it's important to... And a lot of times I'll see something that looks like a good design. It's not. It doesn't fit us. And I'll say, you know, be sure to keep us in mind when something else comes up because we would like to like to hear from you. It looks like you're a talented designer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we think it's important to, again, not only from a business perspective, to allow that sort of stuff in, but also um, just to, like you said, give back to the community, let people know that we're there and we're, you know, we're going to receive those. I think the bigger a company gets, the harder it is to do that, but we've been able to, to keep that as a, a possibility for us. Yeah, that's cool. If you had to narrow down to one thing, I know this is probably a hard question to answer, but if you had to narrow down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time playing your games? Well, I, I think the thing for us is that it has to be fun. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the point of a board game, and so we always, like, we will look at our game we'll go through a game and be like oh this is really cool was it fun you know was that an an enjoyable experience or is it just like um you know you can recognize some neat mechanics but you're not really enjoying yourself doing it you know that's the uh the part for us that it has to be there that's extremely important and and for us personally we have to be passionate about a game we've had plenty of good game submissions that we've turned down because the theming didn't feel quite right or it didn't just have that one thing that made us really want to um, to publish. We care a lot about being passionate because we we have to sell that game. We have to we only publish a couple games a year at the most. Um, you know we've got some accessory products and expansions and things like that but full-on games we have to we have to really care about it. Yeah, absolutely. What's it been like with you for you guys uh, partnering with Hobie Chow on the new My Little Scythe game? To, I mean, because that's new for you yeah, guys yeah, to yeah. get into a product that is kind of aimed at kids and, yeah. and more particularly aimed at introducing some kind of you know strategy type board game or, or a deeper well, level of board game to children, which I think is cool. I mean, we've had discussions about that before that kids games can be brutal, and and this isn't we, we've we've called it a family friendly game because it it is enough strategy that a family can enjoy playing it with their kid. Mm-hmm. I think plenty of gamer parents have experienced getting out Candyland or Shoots and Ladders and you know wanting to pull their hair out because there's just nothing there. There's no interesting choices. Roll the dice, move up the thing, slide down the thing. And so we were excited when Hobie brought this to us and just said, hey, look at what I did. This is pretty cool. And we're like, oh, that's a really great game entry level for people who haven't played these kind of games. It's great for for younger people who just, they need to understand interesting decision making and and deeper strategy. 
And so, yeah, we've uh, it's been awesome working with Hobie, who's amazing. He's here at the con, and we've been chatting with him, and and um, just it's it's neat that he and his daughter were able to create yeah. this thing. That's so cool. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, one last question I like to ask people in the industry, designers, and uh, is why do you make games? What drives you to to do this? Um, I think so. There's a. <laughs> We make games because we like games, you know, like you you do what you love, I guess. And that's that's where we're at. Um, we've talked about that a lot with the company is like if we ever stop enjoying doing this, we won't do it anymore. It's got to be something we we find a lot of joy in. And um, I think gamers are some of the nicest people in the world. Like you sit down to play a game and they're uh, almost always super friendly and and they want they want to show you this cool thing about this game. And like it's uh, it's the best uh, type of people. And and so it's a great industry and and I, yeah I don't know if we'd be fit for any other industry because of how like we have direct competitors that are I, I guess you'd call them competitors but they're friends of ours you know like yeah. we know people that right. do the same thing we do and we can hang out and we can go to dinner and we can you know like it's not this cutthroat world um, which is amazing so, yeah, yeah yeah that's great I'm here with Jamie Stegmeyer, who's uh, of Stonemeyer Games, made several games, uh, Viticulture, Euphoria, Scythe. Uh, most recently, you guys published uh, My Little Scythe, which is exciting. Uh, and you've got a brand new expansion of uh, The Rise of Fenris, an expansion for Scythe that's coming out that's uh, a campaign. Yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, anything I missed or anything you'd, you'd want to add to what, what you guys got going on here at Gen Con. Yeah, you hit the key spots. We, we have two major releases coming out in two weeks, but we sent a bunch of copies to Gen Con for all the wonderful people like you who are coming to Gen Con. Uh, the Rise of Fenders, like you said, is a campaign expansion. It's also a modular expansion. So for anyone who doesn't have a regular campaign group or they just don't want to play that way, uh, they can break everything out of the box right away and, and mix and match for their, for their ideal scythe experience or for variable scythe experiences. And then My Little Scythe is a, a family-friendly standalone game that has some nods to side that has some side that like me mechanisms but it also has some mechanisms that are very uh, new and very much uh, make it its own game that one is not designed by me and rise defenders actually was co-designed with someone else as well uh, so it's it's neat for me to see new people bringing their ideas to stonemeyer games yeah. yeah yeah that's great what's it been like for you to um you know experience i think enough success now that you can step out and take some risks with things like my little scythe it's it's wonderful to have a supportive core audience there there's still a, dis a discerning audience um i don't expect them to buy everything we make but they are often supportive and enthusiastic beyond what i would hope and that's the case with my little scythe uh as, as well as uh, other games that we produce. So we're able to experiment a little bit more now without using Kickstarter uh, because we had that core audience to give us feedback and, and let us know if we're going in the right direction and to, uh, to support the games that we make. Yeah. Great. Uh, and how have you been able to cultivate and maintain a community that's excited about what you and do and supportive, not blindly so, but but you know what? How how'd you how did you get there? What 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 steps did it, did it take to get there? Kickstarter definitely was the launch pad for me to learn about how to work with the gaming community. Um, but 
since moving away from Kickstarter, one of the biggest things really is uh, Facebook groups. I, I use Facebook groups a ton. I have one of one for each of our games. I try to stay very active there. Some of the groups are more active than others, but if anyone ever posts in any of the groups, I'm there, or there are other and there are other people there to to answer questions or just uh, geek out about something cool about the game. Um, th- that has really really helped. Uh, keep these little pockets of communities alive i'm active in other places too twitter i got into instagram this year board game geek is a wonderful community but those facebook groups are really where people can go to to express their excitement and their questions and their passion for very specific games that's really helped yeah do you guys have a facebook group yes we do absolutely yeah and so it's the same for us our facebook group is a big part of why our community is so vibrant so yeah absolutely um i'd be curious to hear too uh you know you've made a lot of different games and i've talked to you about this in the past, but I'd be curious if you have, is there a, a like an ethic or a, a emotion maybe that unifies them that you hope players experience with your games? Well, there's two ways to answer that. I would say for the community itself, and really this is tied into the games as, as well, we try to feature an inclusive environment. We want people of all uh, races and creeds and, and, and genders and, and, and uh, sexualities, every type of person, every size and shape to feel welcome in our communities and in our games. In our communities, that means that the way that we talk about, that the way we greet people, the way we welcome into them into the communities, and the way that we uh, interact with them in those communities. With the games, it means having characters of, of different genders, um, if it's thematically correct, different races, all these different um, elements of diversity that make people feel welcome and that they can see themselves in these games. So inclusive is a word that we love. We don't like the word exclusive in any way, including the way that we sell our products. So that, that's a core philosophy of ours. I appreciate that. Um, and then uh, a final question I like to ask designers is what drives you to do this? What, what, what gets you up in the morning to continue making games and engaging our community and all those things it takes to, to do this? Uh, my, my, my cats actually get me up in the morning. Um, but after I'm up, uh, I, I'm there because I, I really, truly love to bring joy to tabletops around the world. Uh, it, it, I don't take it for granted that people play my games. I, 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 I consider it a privilege that they, that they want to play them, and, and I love seeing people happy, whether they're playing my games or someone else's games. I, I love to see people having those joyful moments with their friends and family at the table. Um, so that that's what that's what really gets me up in the morning. What drives me to, to continue to do this? Yeah. Cool. Uh, anything you can tell us about your next project in the works? Um, I can tell you that we will be announcing our next uh, our next new game in late August, but I can't tell you anything about it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, we'll be looking forward to, to checking that out. Thanks so much, Jamie, for your time. We really enjoyed it. You have been listening to Humans of Gaming, a production of Love Thy Nerd. If you have enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, rate, and review the show wherever you may be listening. Don't forget to check out our other show, Free Play, featuring discussions of gaming, community, and whatever hosts Bubba Stalkup, Matt Warmbier, and Kate Katawaki deem worthy of your earbuds. Theme music by Jay Tholen and used by permission. Singular radio by Joaquin Sandoval used under Creative Commons 4.0.